Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe, welcome to yet another episode. I am super excited. I've got my friend here with me today, Dr. Beata Stella Mulder. Welcome in the house again. <laughs> Thank you, Carmen. Was, I think last time we saw each other, it was before lockdown. Yeah, before lockdown. So a lot has changed. A lot has changed, and we have a lot of catching up to do, and I'm actually calling you in because, you know, I'm a very curious human being, but I also find that um, you are one of the most incredible teachers for me in research. And I'm like, okay, I need a bit of help here because um, things have, are not the same. And I find it very hard to justify a lot of the research that's out there because you're not unconventional. And mm. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. So I think I just want to just jump through the door and ask you, mm. how has research changed after COVID? Sure. Well, a lot has happened. Um, I think everything obviously um, has gone uh, completely online. Okay. So one of the things is, is that um, face-to-face interviews, um, survey data, for example, all of these things have gone online. The benefit of this is the fact that there's a huge cost save to it. For example, you don't have the traveling cost of a mm. field worker going somewhere. The other thing that research companies don't often talk about is that you actually have a very low response rate when people have to get field workers to go into their houses. So sometimes you can even end up with as little as 10% of your original sample that you were targeting for face-to-face interviews. So with online, you can do the, the interviews online and you also have the opportunity to improve your sampling. Because typically your research tended to, to focus on metropolitan areas because it's very um, convenient for the field workers. Now you can target somebody, for example, that sits in a town like George in South Africa. Mm. Or you can um, target someone that is in the rural area if they've got a good internet connection. So it actually helps with your sampling. So that's, that's something that stands out. And I think another thing is that research companies realize the importance of having good panels put together very strong panels that they can, that they've sampled properly. Mm. And then you can get faster responses from panels as well. But what's important is with, and we, we need to, when we get to, um, later on about a little bit, uh, we'll talk a bit about, about traditional research. Um, but one of the issues is that your sampling frame needs to be representative of the population. Mm. And if you do your panel recruiting correctly, you can actually get a very representative sample. So that's fantastic. If you can get a research company and ask them questions, how did they recruit their panels? Ask them about um, typical response rates. Ask them about, you know, the, the proper profiles to make sure that this is the, the market that you want. So, um, but those panels can be incredibly powerful because you can put research out there, get a response by the next day, even within the next hour, depending. So 
COVID with everything going digital has uh, basically has a huge cost save to traditional research. Mm. And the fact that you've got these power panels that can give you instant responses. I totally agree with you. I mean, from, from that perspective, I mean, you know how I am. I, I do my research in a very unconventional way, but now that I'm, I'm striving towards the academic side and also trying to be a little bit more structured like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I have my frustrations in academia. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel, um, there's some parts I completely agree with in terms of face to face interviews. I mean, it's so much easier, but for me, when I sit in front of a person, I'm an energy person. I need to read your body language. Mm. I need to understand, you know, I feel people are comfortable behind the screen, which is great. Um, but I also find it's very easy to say things behind the screen, but face to face, you don't have the courage to say it. And those questions that arise from that, that interview can be far more richer because you, you can see where, where the hesitance you know, mm. comes from. I don't know. This is just my, my approach. Mm. It's like always when I ask and when I interview people from a podcast perspective or from a research perspective for marketing initiatives, it's always just looking for that thing that makes people mm-hmm. like, like feel uncomfortable because that's where you, where the uncomfortable pieces are. The, the gold underneath the dragon lies there. Mm. I agree with you. I think what is important here is that you need to get back to why are you doing the research in the first place? Mm. Because depending on what your research objective is, if you are, for example, doing research where you need to find out, you know, you want to get look at trends of what kind of clothing women are wearing, then you would ideally like to be in that person's house, have them show you their garments and their stuff and tell you stories about when they purchased this and that. So if you want the deep insight, it really depends. And I think that is where... We need to be very careful with the new technology and the new trends. Mm. We always need to get back to why are you doing the research in the first place? Mm. You need to have your objectives in place. Very important. You always need to do secondary research. Mm. You need to consult secondary sources. Because at the end of the day, you can start with a problem and you have your own assumptions. But when you start really investigating it, you might actually even find the answer to your question and see that it maybe wasn't as novel. Mm. Or you'll see that, You've completely missed the plot or you um, get a lot more depth and ideas for additional questions and things that you can ask. So that remains incredibly important. And then, of course, also search for research that contradicts your assumptions. That is very important because if you have something in mind and you Google for it all the time, you are going to find stuff that will support what you're thinking. So do take the time to get the opposite as well. So it's important what is the objective of the research. And I think that ties in with there's so many new tools and things that we'll talk about, but the traditional side is definitely not dead because it depends what you want to find mm. out. So there's definitely that, you know, you're missing that human engagement, that reading the body language, those subtle signs in the facial expression, all of that, mm. um, which you just won't get from online. So It's so true. Uh, you touch on something that's, that's so, so important. It's finding something that completely contradicts what you have this hypothesis about. What I'm loving about learning now at the moment is building arguments and you're forced to go to the, to, <laughs> it's very to difficult opposite. to build arguments. Like you have to justify everything mm. all the time. And I think it's sometimes for people, I think, you know, you, you always just want to prove you're right, but you, but you're not. Mm-mm. And because there's different perspectives, different worldviews. Absolutely. No, you, you have to. That's what makes for a good researcher. You need to question. 
you even need to question why are you asking this question? <laughs> you need yeah. to question. But at the same time, you also, I think because we're in the information age, you can get lost because there are so many perspectives. There's so many arguments, especially for me being in the marketing discipline. It's in the social sciences and it can get, it can become very easy to argue something in a certain direction with social sciences to remain scientific within um, can be challenging. So mm-hmm. I think that's what we need to appreciate and remind ourselves of is what are the proper research process to follow so that we remain scientific in what we do because you can get carried away. You really can. Oh, yeah. Mm. And you can you can really go down a rabbit hole sometimes yeah. and then you're like, why did I actually do this? And you start at square one. Mm. One thing I wanted to really pick your brain on was the fact that I'm fascinated by human behavior. I can just sit and watch people and then I can just like see, okay, this is happening. Like um, my husband always goes like, I wish I could just between, be between those two years of yours just for one day and understand what the hell is going on in that mind <laughs> of yours. But I would love to sit at a coffee shop and I would actually keep tell my husband to quiet. Shh, I'm listening. Mm. <laughs> he was like, we're listening to what? I said, these people are having this conversation and they're actually talking about this. This is, this is something very interesting. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. And I'm like, I must research this. And then he's like, stop, don't stop doing it. But the reason I'm saying that, or, or mentioning this to you is mm. because I do believe that there's a lot of social platforms that you can start picking up behaviors like mm. TikTok. Mm. Listen, some of those things coming out of TikTok is so relatable and so like yeah. um I think you sent me that one with the credit card. Oh yes, where, you, <laughs> where the woman's like drowning out of her bed because you have to get up to get your credit card when you're doing online shopping. <laughs> and I'm like, it is so, it's such a true human behavior, and it's actually a friction point. Yeah, it um, is. But but it's also a contradiction because we don't want to have um, our credit card details saved on Google mm. because we don't want things to be hacked but we are very annoyed about the fact that when it asks for our credit card details we have to get out from what we were doing exactly. and we actually have to go and look for the credit card and, and justify all of this stuff and this is just like the, the interesting world that we live in and I'm just wondering how relevant is it to not uh, by just observing what's happening on social channels mm. no it's it's incredibly relevant um, again it needs to match with what are you trying to find out I would recommend using this as a, a form of preliminary or secondary data at the end of the day so part of your exploration phase um, before you refine your research question the challenge here with um, TikTok and these and these things to get a bit more um, into the scientific side. So you call this of observing behaviors online. So you call this in the broader sense, um, you've got what you call netnography. And netnography is the observation of behaviors. And I've, of behaviors Word online. Of the day? Yes. <laughs> so it comes from originally ethnography in the oh, literature. Wow. Okay. Ethnography was the observation of people. So you would actually pay someone to go and sit and observe people. And they would record what they're seeing, etc. So there's a lot of, of forms of ethnography that you could apply. Oh, wow. So now that you're doing it online, it's just become netnography. There were a lot of terms for it. There was online monitoring. There was webnography. You know, eventually they decided, okay, let's call it netnography in the literature. Thank goodness so, that's not por- uh, pornography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you need to really focus uh, and think when you say it. <laughs> yeah, don't have a slip of the tongue. So, um, <laughs> so the thing is with netnography, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of stuff in the literature and I'm happy to, to share some insights with you. I'm definitely not a specialist in that area, but what I can tell you is that 
you need to consider the scientific aspects like the saturation of your sample. So are mm. you, for example, monitoring, you know, in, in qualitative research, for example, if you have a very homogenous sample, it could easily saturate after speaking to six people. So with netnography, if you have a homogenous sample, you need to figure out what is going to be the saturation point. How many people do I need to look at? I think what's very nice about that is that it allows for what we call purposive sampling. So in other words, deliberately selecting people to observe that wouldn't normally participate in surveys and stuff. Mm -hmm. So you can, again, people on the outskirts that live in smaller towns and stuff, not part of the metropolitan areas, you can go and observe them mm -hmm. and see what the behaviors are. And then the fact, the other thing is how are you going to analyze it? You need to have a process of how you're going to analyze it. Are you going to analyze their comments and then use a text analysis um, program? Are you going to just try to discover sentiment from this? So it's, it's a field which is still to be refined, but it is used. Um, it falls under ethnography, which is a known traditional method, but it needs, it needs some refinement, but it's definitely excellent for looking at sentiment getting a general perspective of what's going on, mm. um, seeing where market is going, getting a, a perspective on trends. But again, it's a perspective. It's still not proven. Mm. You need to use something, for example, a text analysis um, software that at least analyzes it and says, okay, this is a score that I get on this sentiment, that sentiment, etc. like your social listening tools work. And even if you use social listening tools, there are so many free ones Use at least four or five of them. Which to see ones if it's would the you same. recommend? Well, the one that I've always been the most familiar with is Social Mention. Um, that's the yeah. one that I started out with. And I think I was introduced to this back in 2012. So um, that's the one that I've always been most comfortable with. But at the end of the day, I would say use at least four or five of these and see if this yeah. is the same. Don't just stick to your preferred tool. Again, question and interrogate mm. the results. Mm. Look for the contradictions. Very important. <laughs> totally. I mean, I'm fascinated by this conversation. I mean, I did learn a new word, <laughs> necnography. Yes. I'm excited about this. I'm going to research this. Yes. But, but now, as, as we're talking about this, I'm just trying to understand what, what are the trends in research? Because you say research is very scientific, but now there's trends. Are we saying that research is, is, can we confirm that research is evolving? Are we introducing new methodologies or yeah. are we still applying old theory or old practices? Mm. And just, I don't know, maybe just yeah. clarify that. Okay. So at the end of the day, the research process will always remain like the skeleton. Okay. okay? You need to do proper sampling. Whether you do online observations, because it needs to be representative, at least. If your goal is to just get a quick dipstick of what's going on, sure, ask people on your social media page. Um, challenge with that is you sit with the outliers on social media, either the super happy ones or the ones that are very <laughs> disgruntled about whatever. So you don't have a nice bowel shape curve um, data spread. Um so the, cha the chance with that, but the research process will always remain the core. You need to have a proper sampling method so, so that you know that you are looking at every kind of person, every kind of comment so that you can get perspective. Mm. So that will never go away. The sampling to me remains the most important. 
And then can, um, I, can I just quickly interject? Yes. So, so when you say um, different sam- sampling, so it needs to represent different people. So are we talking different stakeholders, for example? Yeah. So if you have the cat woe analysis, you mm. would have the the person that's the actor. You've got the customer. You've got. Mm. You, is that what you what you're referring to? With the sampling, what I'm referring to is that let's say, for example, you are a large bank and you want to do research, which is representative of South Africa then you need to do what we call probability sampling. So in other words, every person in the country has to have a known probability of being chosen. You see? Oh. And that's how it works, for example, when they do stats, SA data, etc. So that's why with traditional marketing, anything where you want to say it's representative of the country, you will have to use traditional marketing most of the time. Because you want to give everyone in the population a equal likely opportunity to be chosen. Mm. So that's what it boils down to. So as soon as you want to say, if you do, if you quickly ask people on Facebook or you have a survey and you use snowball sampling where you share this and you share that, we call that convenience sampling and that's non-probability. So wow. in other words, you are deviating into a direction where you are only getting certain types of people answering it. And if people are very interested in the topic of the survey, they're going to answer it. But what about that quiet customer that doesn't say anything? And who's not You're online. missing them, yeah. you see. And mm. that's where panels are so fantastic because if panels are recruited correctly, online panels, then you've got proper probability sampling and it's a true representation of what is the reflection in the country? It can go as small as what is the reflection in the area, in Gauteng, or what is the reflection in Randburg, for example. But you need to do proper sampling. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions because I'm preparing <laughs> for a very, very big assignment. Okay, cool. <laughs> but You're like, welcome. So when you say finding a right online panel, what do you, how, how do you do that? Okay, so... You would firstly, <laughs> you'd have to ask the market, the market research companies, because they would actually give you the best insight of how they do it. But from being a marketer, having to choose a market research company, I would ask them firstly, did you, for example, use the stats SA data and try to plot the respondents according to that to start out with mm. to see a kind representing in that sense? Um, what demographics did you use? How many people of this age is included? How many people of this gender? Um, if races are all relevant, how many people of a particular race? Um, so that you get a good spread. And I think especially in South Africa, because we've got such a diverse middle class and up, mm. which is typically where your market research is done, you need to have a good representation of every voice of every geographic group on the one end, but also cultural groups Mm. you know you need good Mm. representation i mean it's so interesting that you talk about that because i'm just thinking as you're saying this i'm thinking vernacular um you know we we operate as an english country but there's so many official languages i mean are we inclusive of that when we do our research Mm -hmm. how would you even start doing that like it's it's Mm. it might sound oh let's just go to google translate but we have learned in the past um there's two things that you don't do is google is not your doctor Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep definitely not (laughs) and google is not your translator Mm. you can have very interesting uh (laughs) spin-offs from ai (laughs) yeah and you see that's exactly that thing when people put in certain symptoms and then they are forcing Google to try out a particular result instead of 
trying to contradict what do I think is wrong with me. So you are going to get, if you Google certain symptoms, you are going to, you know, think, for example, you are schizophrenic, mm. but you know, because of this <laughs> and this and this, and then you start believing it. Why don't you go and then say, but what are the, the symptoms of something else? You know, you need to be very <laughs> careful yes, with that. Cause you always end up having cancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you need to be very careful how you research information, even your own symptoms. You can get a broad idea, <laughs> but <laughs> if you think about it, so many illnesses have similar symptoms, headaches, dry cough. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of things that it can imply. So yeah. be very careful to draw conclusions quickly. Yeah. You know, just because WebMD pops out and goes this, this, and this, it doesn't mean you have that. <laughs> <laughs> so be critical. Google every illness with those symptoms. <laughs> I mean, it's so, so true. And I think this is exactly the thing. This is like, I do believe also as marketers, you know, sometimes we, um, I, I heard a great expression of it once, um, G string research uh-huh. and, and analysis. So you only, Show the parts that you want to show from your research. So whatever whatever mission you're on, what is it? Is it Bloom's uh, taxonomy? Taxonomy, isn't that like the? Yeah. No, don't worry. Okay, (laughs) we'll move on. (laughs) Move on. Let me not throw things around that I still need to comprehend. (laughs) Um. What what I what what's very interesting for me is I think that the research tools is so important because uh, mm. you know I mean the re- representatives obviously during COVID you can't necessarily if you ha- under lockdown mm. um, like many countries across the world are currently um, under lockdown or in lockdown sorry and those people are challenged I know for example um, when you need to go and do field work now it's obviously inverted and not everybody's got access to the internet Mm. um, especially in our country so those challenges are there so it's important to identify okay right this is the community of people where I am going to do research that fits a certain demographic that we're trying to understand Mm. what are the tools that you think are absolutely essential as a starting point Mm. because there's two things I'm trying to, to understand is okay there's preliminary um, research and then there's secondary research. Yeah, secondary sources, basically. Secondary resources. data, yeah. Okay. And I'm trying to understand, okay, so so for example, the objective is we want to understand what is the impact of non-education on the youth in South Africa. I'm just putting that out as a a hypothesis, okay? Mm. How do you know how to structure the questions? Mm. You have to do your secondary research. So you that, that to, is the informant. Yes, okay. Yes, you do. That is your informant. And then it's dependent on are you going to go qualitative or are you going to go quantitative? And if we talk strictly speaking traditional research, you're going to get your best results if you do a combination and mix methods of first qualitative mm. to explore the problem. Because again, when you set quantitative scales where you want to measure um, attitudes and perceptions, you could be guided by your own biases and your own assumptions. So if you do qualitative research first and you ask very exploratory questions, you can get better insight and that could give you good ideas of additional questions and things that you need to ask. Mm. So that's always a good idea to use the qualitative as part of your exploratory phase um, of your research. And qualitative is also classified as exploratory research. So it's good to do that and then from there, so you do your secondary, you, you review your secondary sources. So your online um, reports from, for example, your Euro monitors, 
um, you look at credible uh, sources. If you want to quickly know what something means, yes, sure, use Wikipedia, but don't use it as a source of information. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So get credible sources, credible research companies, credible um, thought leaders that are talking about certain topics. Um, look at those those pieces and put together your ideas of where to go. Mm. And then after you've done the qualitative, you can put together the surveys to do the quantitative. But there are challenges and there's challenges and there's criticism for traditional research when it comes to quantitative. And that is one of the, the main issues is basically reliability and validity of the questionnaires. So, um, yeah. So what I, what I want to tell you exactly, I was actually, I wrote it down here so that I can give you the exact definition of your reliability and validity. That's actually so interesting. Huh? Hmm. Okay, so you're something, uh, obviously, that your instruments need to be reliable. So reliability and validity. So reliability concerns the extent to which a measurement of a phenomenon provides stable and consistent results. So in other words, it's concerned with repeatability. So if you use that same scale and you test it under the same conditions, it should provide the same results, you see. So that's why in academia... People always get criticized when they do follow-up studies where they test scales and things because it's not unique and new. But at the end of the day, you need to test scales that academics have developed to see whether this produces reliable results and the same results. Hmm. So reliability is very important. So you need to go back to your marketing research 101 days if you do um, recruit a company to make sure that you view the instruments and they look Mm. reliable. And then validity is a little bit more complicated, but it explains how well the collected data covers the actual area of investigation. So it means measure what is intended to be measured. Mm. And it's quite complicated. It's got um, almost six different types of validity that you need to look at. Wow. Yeah. But those are, are things that traditional research companies get criticized for is that that reliability and validity is not there and they don't do the sampling correctly Mm. and then you can get horrible data skewed yeah skewed data and the other thing also is your research instruments um you need to be so careful how you structure the questions you need to be careful um measuring attitudes can sometimes be problematic um you could maybe perhaps rather go for a weighted option where you ask people to indicate the relative importance of something. Um, But there's a lot of criticism there about the types of scales that are used and how it can be interpreted. So Mm. that definitely is a challenge with the quantitative. But at the end of the day, as long as we appreciate those and we make sure that those are overcome, you know, to the best of its ability, you've overcome reliability, validity issues, You've got a good sample. You should be fine to go. That is as scientific as you can get with measuring human behavior, I guess. And you know, something that you're saying there is just some ringing so so true to me. If if we had to do, say, for example, you came up with a research study pre-COVID and post-COVID, mm. your, your answers are going to be different, not just because of the fact that we're going through a pandemic, mm. but it's also going to be different because people's mindsets are different. Their moods are different. When voting happens in the country, you're... Um, hangover, um, uh, you know, Brent Lindeke explained it so well in one of the um, interviews I had a long time ago with him is he always looks at the mood of the country through social media and through that lens he knows 
Mm. Um, for example, when the World Cup, when we win, everybody's happy. Yeah. They're glee scrolling. They're yeah. glee freshing. When Biden won, it's glee freshing and the mood and the feeds and everything is so positive. Yeah. So if you're going to do a research study with people when they're in a very happy mood, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to get very optimistic results. Exactly. But if you're going to do it when Trump comes back into power, mm. I don't know. But I mean, then you're going to have a very different type of mm. um, um, response to that same research study because yeah. of the mindset. I yes. don't know if I'm wrong or right, but no, you, you, you will definitely. I think what we need to also appreciate one of the limitations of traditional research is that it is a snapshot of a moment in time. Mm. It doesn't have predictive ability. It's about what happened in the past. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So that's where we get to all the new shiny tools with predictive marketing models and stuff with big data mm-hmm. and algorithms, AI under that machine learning, all of that. So you see, <laughs> there's a lot of new stuff um, that that we can embrace. And I also think I think if people do more research all the time, mm. you would be able to predict more. Yeah. Um, and and you'll be able to see patterns yeah. if you're continuously keeping track of that. For example, I'm going to use a stupid example, but if you know it's rainy season, there's a big possibility that women are going to buy anti-frizz mm. serums during that time or anti-frizz shampoos during that time mm. because of seasonal changes. It's raining a lot. Maybe it's a hypothesis and you need to research it. But but you, if you keep on researching, you'll, you, you'll be able to validate those, mm. those things far quicker. Because this is the problem. It's because the agility economy that we're working in currently, we have to move so fast. And sometimes these studies take ages to put together mm. and by the time you take it to market it's like okay now we're actually <laughs> yeah. changing direction yes. and you never get to execute yeah no it is and um, that's why all of these new online tools are very very helpful i think there's a yeah there's a bit of a challenge um with this i i would definitely say my perspective is you need to use a combination of traditional as well as the new tools mm. because let's think about it predictive marketing is fantastic it's something which as i understand originally came from the financial sector because they tried to you know predict markets and stuff and behaviors so now with the new martech technologies and stuff there's a lot that you can do feed a lot of data from different sources into it and look at potential patterns that can emerge but the problem is you can only predict so much i mean imagine you paid your I don't know how much money. It's obviously very expensive to do these things and to buy these systems. But you've made your predictions of four or five scenarios of what is going to happen. And you've got all your planning in place. And whoop, something like COVID happens. You know? mm, <laughs> so exactly. life still happens. Um, and I think what what is also a bit of a criticism, and that's why I'm saying use a combination. Mm. Have your research question ready. Know what you want to find out. But use a combination of these things. Because the way that you would purchase online – and your experience with online purchasing, which is the data that is captured online, which goes into the system, can be very different to when you're purchasing offline. Mm. So now we're missing the offline customer with our data because in a shop, you've got a lot more stimuli and things going on. So, you know, that's, you need to appreciate cards. this. And, yeah. <laughs> but you need to, you need to appreciate that all of these have their strengths and weaknesses. There's a place for all of them. That's so true. Yeah. I'm just thinking, uh, I've heard, um, Dion Chang, I, I believe, um, when he was talking about discovery, like they have a very smart, um, <laughs> smart system going yeah. there. But like people buying alcohol now, they buy it cash. Yeah. Um, so that the system, the vitality card can't pick. <laughs> 
<laughs> that they're that buying something so unhealthy. Yeah. But I mean, like, this is this is the reality of what we're dealing with. It's like exactly what the human in the system is so funny. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> let's think about it. Um, people might not swipe the certain um, shopper cards and stuff for for vitality because it could be anything that you buy in the shop. Certain things you ask your husband to take to another till, and then you'll swipe <laughs> the vitality stuff. Yeah, you know. You don't want people, you don't want the system to know. So you just think, you're sitting with this data. Oh my word, I've got all these healthy customers, but you don't know what's going on behind the scene. So there's always the relativity of everything in life that one has to appreciate. <laughs> you know, you can solve a lot of problems in the world by just saying it's relative. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, um, it, it is unfortunately just one of those things that we have to accept. <laughs> Like you can never be sure and once you think you're sure of something you should question things because yeah. it's just quite I mean like what? who, who was it was it Metropolitan or uh, uh, Momentum yeah who who had that big case where they didn't pay out uh, I think it was Momentum yeah yeah, and he he was he was diabetic, and he didn't mention that he was yes. diabetic and and all of that, and yeah. then couldn't pay, and then he he got murdered. I can't remember. He got a car accident or something and passed away. Legally, um, yeah, well, they were within bounds of the law not to, mm. you know, um, pay out. But f- from a moral perspective, mm. um, it was important that they did. But I think also a lot of people became woke to the to the effect of, you know, manipulating the system. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. you also know that life insurance, if you, you know, if you tell them everything, you're not going to get covered. I, yeah. For example, I suffer from serious anxiety. I, I mean, yeah. I've calmed down quite a lot now and, mm. you know, I'm, I've mastered that part of my life, but it's on my record. Mm. So I will always never be mm. paid out for any claims that relates to that. Yeah. And I would always pay additional mm. premium fee. What for? I yes. don't know because they won't pay it out. But you see, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how old we are, we, we are naughty little children, you know? <laughs> we are going to behave in a certain way. And I think that's what the point of when it comes to these data and online systems is that we need an appreciation of a marriage between the science of the data mm. and the art of human beings. Yes. <laughs> so we need to have, you know, that combination. So do your traditional research. Especially storytelling is incredibly powerful if you get um, people to tell you stories of when they went to a retailer, for example, and this is what happened, et cetera, et cetera. That gives you a lot of depth, but that gives you a good insight about the behavior. Whereas with your data, you can see what they were purchasing with their loyalty cards, all of that, you know, all that data can go into the system and help you. But you need to come, you know, combine the two if you really want a good perspective. Totally. So what I've always noticed from a, a business perspective is like when I sit, sit in boardrooms and we go through things and then people would go in the boardroom and say, yeah, but I would never do something like that. Or if I was in that situation, I would do that. But you're not the consumer. Exactly. Or, and you can't be the dipstick of no. of how consumers act. And this is why it's so important. Also, you know me about being the voice of the customer. It's mm. just absolutely essential. Yeah. And I think that's also where a lot of organizations, you know, focus on that particular thing of like putting themselves on the table. And I think it's so important to remove your biases and your belief systems mm. out of it in order to get to the right questions, the right methodology in order for you to get the right data exactly it boils down to the same thing if you are not going to test your own contradictions of your assumptions yes you're going to ask your market certain questions and you're going to get certain answers which are going to be the right ones mm. and also if you you know again with social media 
use it to get a sense of where the direction is going. But you've got the outliers again there. So, and I mean, there was another example of a, um, of CEOs that decided, but they have to develop an application for the business. And they felt that they all have, have, um, Apple, uh, iPhones. So, you know, and they use this particular app. <laughs> Let's have an Apple, uh, based app. And the market wasn't on that platform, you know? So these things happen. You need to be so careful if you mm. want to be, so as scientific as possible, as you, as scientific as you can be in social sciences. Mm. Um, you know, you need certain, you need to question as much as you can. Um, and you need to be incredibly careful if you want to really represent the customer. Yeah. It's yeah. fascinating, this stuff. I mean, I really do. I mean, like, obviously I do very unorthodox stuff. Um, that that you probably won't approve of, but it's okay. Um, but it gets me to <laughs> the answer. As long as you so do it, <laughs> as long as you do it as a part of a, uh, a preliminary and use it as secondary data to get basic insights. Mm. But if you're going to convince a customer to spend millions based on that, that could be problematic. Um, yeah. So, but if it's used as preliminary, this is where the market's going. This is the kind of sentiment. There's nothing wrong with that. We mm. don't have the money at this stage to do a lot of market research. That's the other reality. You have to stick with alternative and try alternative sources. And that's what a lot of businesses are doing. Mm. So. And, and, and you, you're very right. It is mm. a very expensive project. And yeah. I tried to map it out one day and I was just, yo, because mm. you have to have a moderator and you have to have, like, yep. there's so much thought that goes into it it's not an easy thing to do exactly and it takes months exactly so i actually want to talk to you about the analysis process because that's the part mm. i think many marketers struggle with is how to analyze you've got now all this raw data yeah and do you take all that data and analyze it mm. or do you just go and look for what stands out and then analyze that because you also as much as you, you're bringing data to the table, also if you're going to bring 300 pages of insights, I don't think it's going to, mm. it's going to ring. Yeah. So the analysis depends whether it's quant or qual. Okay. And mm. um, I think what I can, okay, let's briefly go with quant. All right. So let's say you do a traditional survey. You've got 200 respondents. You will use a typical software like SPSS. That's what we use in academia. You can do multiple analysis, ANOVAs. You can do multiple regression. You can do correlations. I think the one thing that stands out for me is be careful with the interpretation between correlations and causality. Mm. Because just because two things correlate does not mean the one causes the other. So there was a, a there's there was a study, I don't know if it's an urban legend or what, but I remember one of my lecturers years ago using it as an example in class. There was a correlation between ice cream sales and murders. And it's because it was the temperature was incredibly hot, so people are eating more <laughs> ice cream. But at the same time, agitation, aggression, you know. <laughs> so do you do you see things can correlate? It doesn't always mean that the one causes the other. If you want to do causal research, you have to set up an experiment. So you literally have to be in a in a controlled environment where. You can manipulate certain things. You take all variables out that can influence people. You need a clean lab setting, all of that, if you want to prove causality. So that's the one thing I can say about the quantitative wow. side. Yeah. About the qualitative side, I think what's nice is that you can use um, text analysis softwares, um, which are very strong. They can help you to identify themes in the conversations, and they can also help you with sentiment. Um, and there's a lot of ones that help you to find um different ways in which people communicate. Is it active language? Is it, you sure. know, that kind of stuff? I'll tell you a little about a paper that I, that I wrote with a software called Diction. 
you what what is nice is you can use traditional qualitative analysis but then analyze it you know traditional qualitative um interviews mm. and then analyze it with text you know analysis software so that can then give you a bit more of a that also helps to quantify it sometimes because you can see the number of times something was said and then you can put a number to it so the text analysis also helps to bring a quantitative element into like it they did with trump about yeah. fight Fight, fight. Yes, you see, exactly. <laughs> so it can bring that in. So that's the, that's the nice part. So that's, that's with the interpretation. Then in terms of the newer stuff with the, the, the big data and that kind of thing, I think the key there, and this is something that I think, um, is a new skill that marketers together with creatives will have to do. And that is to learn to tell the stories of the data. Yes. Yes. So that it becomes tangible. You know, mm. so you are going to need some good interpretation skills. You are going to have to work very closely with the data scientists so that you can understand it. And then your creative must visualize it, bring pictures, bring it to life. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that you can tell stories in the boardroom with the data. Yeah. Because you I know? think most of the time, um, and also people remember things better through stories. And mm. I think people are also more open to ideas yeah. through storytelling yes um you know we find healing through storytelling yeah and and i think to heal businesses i think that this is important because you need to see okay right you know what maybe we are not doing things right especially from a internal perspective like culturally when mm. when organizations do not want to listen to the research of why their staff is unhappy mm. you know when you start saying this is sarah Mm. She walks in. This is what's been going on at home. She walks in and this is happening in her life. Yeah. Now you come and you have these expectations. This is happening and this is the ripple effect on her. What's mm. happening? She's getting demoralized. La, 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 la. Yeah. And, and you can actually paint the picture and people can actually see the, the, the effects and the cause yeah. and effect of it. And you see, the challenge with a lot of these internal surveys is it's the people at the top that assume they think you know, what the problems are. They set the questions mm. instead of talking to the ones that lower in the hierarchy to find out what are the problems so that they can ask the right questions. So they might, they're asking questions from their own assumptions and you're not going to get the right data. Mm. You know, very important. You need to manage assumptions. It's, you it's really do. Such a big, I, I can't remember. There was something, uh, uh, there was a study because now I, I, I read a lot of literature reviews. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 one of the literature reviews I was doing, uh, they were talking about exactly that is that most of your problems are sitting at the bottom line. Mm. But the questions that are posed from the top down never finds its way to those problems mm. it never ever um comes out and this is where um i also believe co-creation is important mm. um and independence is important mm. and i don't see why companies always need to have um, consultants coming in to do it i do believe if there's people that's a committee that's unbiased that's mm. you know and you set a team and and groom a team you can constantly have that gauge and you can measure that temperature mm. um of organizational culture i don't think it's just a one-off thing oh now we're just going to fix it it's a con- Continuous thing because mm. humans change all the time. Oh my goodness! Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. You need to be um, a lot, very agile. You know your approach to it, definitely. 
when it it's comes so to culture. It's so fascinating, the stuff. Yeah. I think like I'll be sitting here for like a whole day with you. Like I feel like I'm having my <laughs> own personal mentor <laughs> session. But I mean like um, Beata to me, it's just like a um, like you just simplify it. You make it understandable. You make it fun, exciting. And I'm already here sitting with 20 ideas in my head because you just – and you're so giving with your information. Oh, thanks. So, so thanks for sharing all of that. And all the tools, I'm not aware of all of them, but I mean I yeah. am going to definitely go and have a look. Yeah. If you had to to take everything in a nutshell of today's discussion about research, yeah. um, what would your analysis of this conversation <laughs> be and what would your final thoughts be? Okay, so I would say let's appreciate the marriage of science and art. Okay. Let's, um, yeah, let's combine traditional methods with online and big data and the new trends. I would say always question your assumptions. Always research, do your secondary research, understand, look for contradicting information. That's very important. Get the basics right, regardless of what tools you use. Get the sampling right so that you speak to the correct market. Make sure that it's inclusive so that it's a representative of everyone that you um, need to talk to. And then um, be clear on why you are doing the research. Mm-hmm. Always ask yourself and have your objectives right and ready. And don't don't be victim to the shiny tools. <laughs> yes. Think of what tool is best going to solve my problem. Mm. That is what the, the you know would we need to appreciate. <laughs> okay. Well, if anybody wants to reach out to Dr. Biarta, <laughs> you can um, just uh, check the link below. Um, I'm sure she would welcome any questions. Definitely. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, and she also does research. So, yeah, oh, well. yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's a practitioner as well. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, um, Beata, for coming in. It's always so much fun. And thank you for, um, you know, giving all these insights. I'm really inspired. Thank you so Great. much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Bye bye now. Okay, okay, bye. <laughs> You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.